Welcome to Super Science, where we feature research and discoveries nationwide enabled by advanced computing technology and expertise at the Texas Advanced Computing Center of the University of Texas at Austin. I'm Jorge Salazar, a science writer at TAC. A new leaf has turned in scientists' hunt for developing cutting-edge materials used in organic light-emitting diode, OLED, TVs, touchscreens, and more. The advance involves the polaron, a quasi-particle consisting of an electron and its surrounding distortions of atoms in a crystal lattice. Simulations on the Texas Advanced Computing Center's Frontera supercomputer have helped scientists map for the first time the conditions that characterize polarons in two-dimensional materials, the thinnest materials that have ever been made. Understanding polarons can help the performance and efficiency of devices such as touchscreens for phones and tablets and the organic light-emitting diodes of OLED TVs, which rely on electric charge transport through polarons. What's more, generating hydrogen fuel from the splitting of water by sunlight is considered the holy grail of energy science, a process which can be achieved through charge transport from polarons in key materials such as titanium dioxide. On the podcast today is Feliciano Giostino, Professor of Physics and the W.A. Tex Moncrief Jr., Chair of Quantum Materials Engineering at the Odin Institute for Computational Engineering and Sciences, and the Department of Physics, College of Natural Sciences, the University of Texas at Austin. Giostino is the lead author on Polaron Research, published February 2023 in Nature Physics. In it, he and study co-author Weng Hong Xiu of the Odin Institute and the University of Macau determined the fundamental properties of polarons and two-dimensional materials using quantum mechanical theory and computation. Dr. Giostino, welcome to the podcast. Can you speak more about the main findings here? Uh, yeah, so basically, the first thing is that there is, well, as you know, there is a huge interest in 2D materials. So these are materials that consist essentially of a single atomic layer the thinnest materials uh, that you know have ever been made and they are studied you know by hundreds or thousands of groups because they are a bit the hope of future electronics transistors today uh, which are the key elements of electronic uh, circuits are going down to the nanoscale so they are of the order i think of um, maybe five or six nanometers uh, a nanometer is you know one millionth of a meter and uh, future scaling beyond this level we require to go at the atomic scale and this is um, will be possible using two-dimensional materials essentially so the most famous two-dimensional material is graphene i'm sure that you heard of it is this uh, one-dimensional layer of carbon atoms that was the beginning of 2d materials research but now there are many many more essentially so many groups found new materials so there are many questions on what are the properties of these materials so one of the key property for the applications is how electricity, basically, uh, so how electric currents are transported through these uh, materials. Okay, for example, the basic function of a transistor is to have a on or off current depending on the applied voltage, and that is dependent on how an electron, so the carrier of charge in this material, responds to an applied electric field. Okay, so this is the uh, fundamental property of all these materials and uh, understanding how charge moves under the action of an applied field is the key 
design uh, question for anybody wanting to develop 2D kind of electronics, photonics, um, you know, energy materials uh, and whatnot. In two-dimensional crystals, meaning materials where the atoms are arranged in periodic patterns, what we learn uh, in, you know, as undergrads is that mm, electrons form waves, okay? Meaning that um, so in quantum mechanics, uh, particles are actually waves. And these waves are like uh, really behaving as water wave of sound waves, okay? The main characteristic of a wave is that it's delocalized over the, the size of the entire material, essentially. So that's a, a key property of quantum mechanical objects. What we studied in this work is uh, something called the polaron, which is a, um, an electron slightly modified by uh, the fact that it interacts with the atomic lattice. That means that the electron lives in a lattice where there are ato atoms, and uh, this interaction, because you know, the electron is charged neg negatively and the atomic nuclei are positive, uh, this, there is a Coulomb interaction, basically, um, that makes the atoms attracted to this uh, negative charge of the electron. So this is very standard. It happens in every material. And that essentially slightly modifies the property of the electrons. Okay? So maybe it makes it go a little bit slower, or it makes it, uh, you know, it, gives, it endows it with some properties that are interesting to study, and they are important for applications. Now, something interesting happens when the interaction between the electron and these atoms is so strong that basically the electron pulls the atoms around itself. So this creates a concentration of positive charge that actually attracts the electron in turn. So when this feedback mechanism is strong, what happens is that the electron forms essentially a packet together with the atoms distorted around itself. And this object is what is called a polaron. So the way to imagine it is like a in these pictures, uh, for example, where you know you 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 have a an elastic sheet or something, and you put a, maybe a marble or um, you know a heavy sphere in the middle, so that distorts. It creates kind of a, a, a dip, right? Like in gravitation plots, things like that. So this distortion actually creates an environment around the electron that is modified by its presence, and that endows the electron with completely new properties. So I'm going to say it in a better way, but um, the key thing is that the electron, instead of being a delocalized wave, becomes a localized wave packet. It's like a little kind of wave packet that actually now has the properties of a particle more than, more than a wave. And the consequence is that um, the way it moves around the lattice is no longer the same as a wave, but essentially has to jump between a lattice site and another one. So this is called hopping transport, essentially. And this is a different transport regime that um, you know uh, people try to understand because it has implications on the design of materials for electronics, essentially. So from the point of view of condensed matter physics and fundamental physics, essentially uh, the polaron is a new particle that emerges from the interaction between electrons and the surrounding lattice. And this particle has new properties. So what we want to do in this study is to understand polarons in two-dimensional materials. So there's a lot of work that's been done over the past 100 years, 100 years on polarons in three-dimensional materials, but pretty much nothing was known about what they do when you go to uh, two dimensions. And what we found essentially by using um, theory and computation is that while they exist under certain conditions in every three-dimensional material, they don't always exist in 2D. Essentially only certain materials uh, can host these kind of particles. Essentially, there is a critical condition that has to be satisfied for that to exist. And we believe that that explains why 
many experiments did not find this kind of particles in 2D. So what we charted is some kind of a map to indicate essentially in which materials they should be found and under which conditions and what would be their properties. The key links are 2D materials for um, electronics, photonics, and energy. And then the key element of all of these applications is um, the transport of electric charge. And then the transport of charge can happen either as waves, and that's the standard materials in standard conditions, or as polarons, which are these localized wave packets. Our aim was to understand whether one can find polarons in two dimensions and what are their properties, essentially. So that's uh, the, um, the main novelty. And to do this, we used a, a new computational method that we developed. And uh, we used uh, you know, supercomputers to, to perform the calculations. And uh, among those, we used you know, clearly Frontera attack. You mentioned uh, the uh, computational method that you developed. Is this the Quantum Espresso? So Quantum Espresso is basically a large software distribution uh, that is developed by probably a couple of dozen um, groups, actually. What we develop is a module of Quantum Espresso that is called EPW. That's a code that actually we invented and we developed. Uh, now, actually, it's been developed by maybe 15 people around the world. And we are at UT Austin. We are basically leading the effort. It's a pretty large piece of code now. It's like, uh, you know, 80,000 lines of Fortran and, and message passing interfaces. And uh, it's something that we optimize very heavily on um, Frontera. In fact, during Texas Scale Days, we managed to perform full system runs, you know, on the full like 440,000 cores of Frontera when we were given the entire machine. So it's something that um, we've been essentially refactoring for exascale computing over the past um, four years now. And, you know, Frontera and TAC helped us with this, um, with this effort. Uh, the other thing maybe uh, one might want to mention is that um, uh, with TAC, we do have a collaboration now within, uh, precisely within the LCCF. Uh, it's basically the CSA, one of the CSA projects. So this uh, characteristic science allocation project, application project. So there are basically 20, I think 20 codes that have been selected to be benchmarked and optimized for the next computer. And, you know, EPW is, so this code that we develop is one of them, actually. Um, so this effort is linked uh, with, the, you know, the CSA program. And uh, the other thing we might want to mention, if, um, you know, you feel like it, is that we have, we do have a CSSI, basically an NSF grant, called Cyber Infrastructure for Sustained Scientific Innovation. So it's on one program of the NSF where Dan Stanzioni is our copy meaning that basically it's four investigators. I'm the lead investigator and Dan Stanzioni is one of the investigators. I mean, this is not directly related to this project, but I think, you know, it might be nice to mention that we have strong collaborations, um, you know, with TAC, uh, at least on two fronts, you know, with the CSA, with the CSSI, uh, on separate grants. I mean, this project is mostly sponsored by DOE, essentially. Frontera and TAC provided us with the opportunity to develop the codes on full-scale systems that has not been possible anywhere else, essentially. Could you talk about the need for the supercomputers? Um, what were the computational challenges? So basically, these calculations correspond to a, a single layer of atoms, or you know, double layer if uh, materials are two layers, something like that. Sometimes when I say small packets, you know, uh, small is kind of a relative. For example, 
in the case of boronitride that we studied in this, um, you know, in this manuscript, the this packet extends over something of the order of maybe uh, 10 nanometers. And that means that in terms of number of atoms, we're talking about something like 30,000 atoms. So that has born nitrogen atoms in, in, in extent. So actually that kind of calculation um, it would not be possible using standard um, density functional theory methods. But for two reasons, it is too large. And uh, uh, basically it needs some advanced called kind of features of density functional theory that are not available in standard code. So what we did is to kind of recast that equation, uh, this, this problem, into the solution of a very large nonlinear eigenvalue problem. So basically a um, linear algebra problem, very large. And then uh, we use the supercomputer to solve this gigantic linear algebra problem, essentially. That's the idea. You can imagine a, a very, very large, uh, you know, matrix diagonalization. And uh, that requires um, uh, essentially uh, supercomputer resources because it has to be performed in parallel. It cannot be done on a single uh, CPU. And it has to be performed on a very large number of nodes, essentially. So that's the main the bottleneck. So bottom line, we want to study these particles on very large systems. And we reformulate this problem into a, essentially matrix diagonalization problem on a you know, very large scale. And that it then is dealt with uh, using a kind of standard kind of parallel uh, linear algebra subroutines like ScalaPack and things like that, that are available uh, in attack and in other computers. So, uh, and these uh, usually we're talking about systems that uh, are well beyond any kind of small scale cluster. So they, they do require kind of high performance computer resources. What is the most important thing that you'd like uh, the public to know about using supercomputers to understand new materials? Let's put it this way. If we can do a, so today we can do a calculation of polarons uh, with a uh, you know, supercomputer like Frontera, it was simply impossible you know, 10 years ago. And that gives us the, the ability to actually design new materials, uh, you know, to optimize this kind of functionalities. And the, the number of potential new materials that exist is of the order of, you know, hundreds of millions. So the materials that we know today are a tiny fraction of what actually uh, is possible. So supercomputers may be the key to explore this gigantic space uh, without investing billions into experimental synthesis and catalyzation, but using computation to, to essentially give it a first pass and see what is possible and what will be out there before investing kind of hardcore you know, resources for a kind of experimental uh, research. And that's really the spirit of, I think, the Materials Genome Initiative that I'm sure you, you heard of. It's a you know, US program to accelerate materials design discovery by computation. So essentially using computation as the first point of call to find new kind of opportunities in, in material science. And, you know, these things were simply impossible 10 years ago, and they have been made uh, possible by the development of these um, large scale facilities. And actually, I'm a very strong advocate on continuing along this path and maintaining a US leadership in this space. So essentially, we will always need more and, and larger and better. And, you know, it is possible because the expertise is there. Teams like People Attack are, are you know, phenomenal. And, uh, you know, everybody benefits from those. 
it's better science, it's, uh, you know, better engineering, and it also generates a lot of uh, human capital and, you know, training of, you know, highly skilled, uh, you know, professionals uh, that will eventually go and, and uh, populate the ranks of high-tech companies, you know, uh, for, you know, tomorrow, essentially. So uh, HBC, uh, it's, I think is the key to a lot of things. And, you know, whenever I'm in, actually, this is a kind of science story, but whenever I'm in committees, like uh, evaluating some large programs and something like that, and there is mention of HPC, I, I make a point of making it clear to everybody that we should not stop this. It, it should go forward. We should keep being the leaders in this area because it's enabling so much science that, you know, would not be possible otherwise. I do hope that, you know, things like, uh, you know, TAC and, and will just keep growing and, you know, uh, training people and helping people like us. You've been listening to Feliciano Giostino of the Odin Institute at UT Austin. Supersized Science is part of the Texas Podcast Network. The Conversations Changing the World, brought to you by the University of Texas at Austin. The opinions expressed on this podcast represent the views of the host, not of the University of Texas at Austin. For the Texas Advanced Computing Center, I'm Jorge Salazar.